0: Two readings. The first one is from Romans chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 7. This follows on from um, the rest of the Romans chapters that we've been studying over the last few months Uh, It's um, been a wonderful revelation. Some of the things are reminders of God's faithfulness to us as we've just prayed. So Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who don't do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And the second reading comes from one Timothy two verses one to seven. One Timothy two verses. Verses 1 to 7. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed as a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying." And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles.
1: Well, it's great to be with you this morning, uh, circumstances notwithstanding. I want to say hi to Darren, who I know is watching to us at home. Um, And as Tim said, Darren did most of the hard work in preparing what I'm going to say to you this morning. So basically, anything you like about what I've got to say, all credit goes to Darren. And anything that you don't understand or you have a bit of a problem with, that's probably the bits that I've put into my own words. Um, But one of the things that I'm sure Darren and I would both agree on is we've got great material to work with. We're very blessed not just to uh, hear whatever the person up the front has to say, but we've got God's own words to read and to hear each time we gather, and the job of the preacher is just to stay out of the way and let God speak. So I pray that will be the case this morning. And of course, we should never be surprised when we open up the Bible and find that it's relevant to what's going on in our daily lives. Uh, And uh, today's passage is no exception. Of course, our attitudes toward governments and authority shape our lives every day. And so, of course, we would want to know what God has to say about that. But today's passage feels especially relevant in this year of unique circumstances. 2020, full of fires and floods, protests, a pandemic restrictions and regulations, surely our attitude towards our government and our authorities has never been more relevant. At least I don't think, at least in my lifetime, it's ever shaped the way that we live and the way that we live as Christians as much as it has this year. You know, we've worked really hard this year as a church to submit ourselves to all of the restrictions and the regulations. That our authorities have imposed. Why is that? Have you thought about that over the year? I certainly have. Why have we been doing that? Well, Romans 13 has been foundational to that. And so let's pray and ask God to help us listen to his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us recorded in the Bible. We ask for your help to hear, listen and obey today. Amen. So just to quickly recap, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters proclaimed God's faithfulness, his mercy and his love in Christ. Anyone can find forgiveness and even adoption into the family of God by trusting Jesus and his death in our place. And this is the way that God works. It's the way that God has always worked throughout history, showing mercy to those who, uh, ask, who ask for it and trust him. From chapter 12 onwards, we've been reflecting on how we, res- how we should respond rightly to this amazing mercy that God has shown us. Uh, come back with me just to the first couple of verses of chapter 12. it uh, It'll be great if you have got a Bible open this morning. These are really the the topic sentences of the, the rest of the book of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's, uh, God's, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As we live in this world, as we receive God's mercy, we're not to conform to the patterns of our world, but be transformed in our minds and renewed by the word of God. Christians are to be countercultural and today God wants to renew our thinking about uh, this whole area of how we relate to governments and authorities over us so uh, to get on to our passage for today have a look in chapter 13 verse 1 chapter 13 verse 1 you'll see firstly what God's view of government is three times in these verses we uh, we're told that all authorities, all governments are established by God. That is, democratically elected parliaments, totalitarian regimes, communists, monarchies, CEOs, councils, police, law courts, you name it. If it's an authority, God has set it in place. Now, talk about countercultural. Surely this is a view of authority that only a renewed, transformed mind would have. But it's totally consistent with uh, many other parts of the Bible, what they teach us about God and his rule. God is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. Uh, To put it into modern parlance, God is the president of presidents, He's the prime, prime minister. God raises up and brings down rulers according to his plans. God's intentions for raising up one government over another at any given time in history are not always clear. Sometimes governments protect and support their people. Sometimes they protect and support God's people as we try to live under him. In the Bible, think of, uh, think of Egypt when Joseph was the ruler. Uh, think of King Cyrus when he sent God's people back to their home country after they'd been forcibly removed generations earlier. But sometimes, for God's own purposes, and uh, perhaps strangely to us, God actually allows his people to suffer persecution, and there are examples of that in the Bible as well. But whatever government there is, we can be confident that God is still in control and working out his good purposes. Remember back in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Or a few verses later, Romans 8:38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. But these verses do tell us one big purpose that God has in raising up authorities. It's there in verse 4 of our passage, it says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. God has established the governments of our world to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil, or in other words, to bring justice. Uh, back just last week, in the, at the end of chapter 12, you might remember Paul said, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It's chapter 12, verse 19. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Well, now, just a few verses on, we discover that one of the ways God will take vengeance, even before the day of judgment when Jesus returns is through his appointed rulers. Whether they acknowledge God or not, they are in fact God's servants, bringing a measure of justice to our world. And in Australia, we have a lot to be thankful for in terms of our justice systems and our governments. We have well-resourced police, we have an independent judiciary, Corruption is often called out and punished, and we should thank God for those privileges in our nation because we know that it's not common around the world. We really don't need to take justice into our own hands. Not only do we have a sure hope that on the final judgment day, all things will be set right, we actually have a reasonable expectation that here and now in our lifetime, Justice will happen as well. But governments are not all powerful. We know that. Many times in history, people have made the mistake of thinking that because God says that he's instituted these rulers, then these rulers must be the way that God is going to bring his kingdom into the world. God is bringing his kingdom into the world, but he won't do it Through earthly rulers. He's doing it through Jesus, the King of Kings, dying for sin and sending the Spirit to transform hearts and minds one at a time to bring us to new life. So do expect our governments to bring a measure of justice in our world, but they're not all powerful and they're not always righteous. Psalm 146 says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings you cannot save. Blessed are those whose hope is in the Lord their God. And so this is our transformed understanding of governments, that they're instituted by God in order to bring justice. So what should our transformed attitude be towards authority then? Chapter 13, verse 1 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, an earlier translation of the Bible actually put it a little more actively, it put a little more onus on us, the subjects. Uh, This is the old NIV translation. It said, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Submission is to be the Christian attitude. Now, I want to just take us on a little sidestep a little sidetracked, talk about submission, because the word submission has a lot of bad press, uh, but it's actually a very Christian concept, and it is actually very good. Submission is when we acknowledge someone else's authority over us. Uh, In a peaceful society, in healthy relationships, submission can happen naturally and and all the time. Uh, We submit to the government and the road rules whenever we get in our cars. Uh, Ironically today, our brother Darren is submitting to the authority and expertise of the doctors that he's been seeing this week. We submit to the referee when we're playing weekend sport uh, and, of course, I say all these examples happen in a healthy, uh, uh, in a healthy relationship and a peaceful society. Um, we benefit, but I hope you see that we benefit in a lot of ways from when submission happens in day-to-day life. But it's deeper than that for Christians, because authority and submission can actually be seen in the very personality of our God. We worship a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Father sends the Son and teaches the Son, and the Son submits to the Father, and never the other way around. And Jesus' submission to his Father is tested, demonstrated so profoundly in that garden on the night before he went to the cross, when he said, Father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken away from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And so Jesus's submission to the Father actually results in our salvation. So God has built authority and submission actually into the good ordering of the world he's created. God establishes authorities and he commands us to submit to them. Uh, other parts of the Bible talk about family and church relationships as well. This is God's plan for a stable, peaceful society in our world. So why do we find it so distasteful? Why do we hate authority so much? Sometimes it's because we've experienced an abuse of authority. Uh, if you've been around For years and years, and seen corrupt politicians one after another, it becomes hard to trust the next politician. But there is something deeper in all of us. It goes right back to Adam and Eve, right back to the creation of the world. Our first parents believed the lie that submitting themselves to God would not be for their good. They believed that lie and they rebelled, and we have inherited from them a permanent, innate suspicion of authority. We don't like having anyone in authority over us, no matter no matter whether it's for our good or not. Marlon Brando played Johnny Strabler in the movie The Wild One. Uh, It's a bit of a classic uh, from way back in 1953. He was a biker in the movie, and his, most, his famous line out of the movie is when someone asks him, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? And he replies, what do you got? You see, it's not about the issue, he's just rebelling. Now, it's important to remember, of course, the flip side of submission in the Christian life. Responsibility and accountability. God has high standards for those that he places in authority. Uh, and God will hold our authorities and our leaders to account. So if you're someone who's in a position of authority, do look to God for what he expects from you in your position. But for all of us in our passage today, God is calling us to submit to governing authorities over us. Not because they're wonderful, necessarily, but because God has asked us to, and he is wonderful, and we trust him, and we respect him. But where do we draw the line? You haven't met, I haven't met your boss. I was about to say you haven't met my boss, but actually you have. Uh, He's sitting over there. Submit to authorities? Are you kidding? How could this possibly apply to unjust governments, governments who oppress their people? How could this possibly apply to governments who are anti-God, who oppress God's people? What about parts of the world where Christians are being persecuted? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian during the Second World War. He's famous now for the stand that he took against Adolf Hitler. He preached openly, criticising Hitler, and it seems that he was actually part of a group who were plotting to assassinate the German leader. He was imprisoned and he was killed by the Nazis in the week before Berlin fell. And history remembers Bonhoeffer as a courageous and principled man. Was his behaviour consistent with Romans 13? What does God want us to do with these corrupt, oppressive governments? Well, I've got three things to say. First, our examples, any example that we could give of a corrupt authority would not have surprised the writer of our passage today. Paul wrote to Christians in Rome, who and they lived under one of the most cruel and corrupt empires of all time. The Caesars styled themselves as gods in human form, and they were not famous for their tolerance of Christianity. Paul knew that Jesus had been crucified by the Roman authorities and yet still wrote what we're reading today. Why? Because God's sovereign authority over our world is not limited To those who willingly obey him. That is, just because a ruler disobeys God does not mean that God is not using that ruler for his plans. So that's the first thing to say. The second is, there are examples in the Bible that fill out our understanding of submission to authorities and, particularly, corrupt authorities. Take Daniel, for example, in the Old Testament. He disobeyed the king's edict and continued to pray to God three times a day. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are arrested by the Jewish authorities and they're commanded not to speak about Jesus anymore. They say, We must obey God rather than men. And they keep on preaching. I think the way that we can make sense of these examples in Romans 13 is to understand that there is a difference between submission and obedience. They're not exactly the same thing, even though most of the time we would say that we obey one that we submit to. But in the case of a government that commands its citizens to do evil, I suggest that sometimes we may submissively disobey. Submissively disobey. And I think that's what we saw in the examples that I just gave. How, could, how, how do you do that? How do you disobey but making sure you're still submitting? Three steps. I've got three steps for you. Firstly, we remain respectful as we disobey. Daniel Continued to speak very respectfully to the king whom he disobeyed. Two, we disobey only the things that directly stop us obeying God. We don't open the floodgates, write the ruler off, and start disobeying everything the authorities say. And I think that this point would include submitting to the consequences of our actions. That's what Daniel did. He got sent to the lion's den for his disobedience. And the apostles, they disobeyed the authorities and they were flogged for it. Three, we continue to obey God even as we disobey authorities. And I think this rules out violence towards others because how can we justify disobeying authorities but at the same time, disobey God. And so with regards to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think submissive disobedience could include speaking out against Hitler's evil agenda, even if that meant prison and ultimately being executed. I'm not sure how plotting the assassination of Hitler uh, fits in with being submissive. Uh, because of what I said at the end, Uh, it may be that that violence is ruled out for Christians. So feel free to tell me what you think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer afterwards, but let's get back to thinking about ourselves here today. We're talking about where to draw the line with respect to governments and authorities that are clearly not perfect. So far I've said yes, they're still to be respected. And second, our submission could include disobedience. The third thing to say is something that we've already said, which is we have good, uh, we have good certain reason to leave room for God's justice. We have examples of leaders in the Old Testament like Pharaoh, Sennacherib, whole nations like Asy- Assyria and Babylon who became proud and brutal, and God cut them down. Whether in this life or the next, whether it's dramatic or unseen, God will bring about justice. And you know, even Jesus did this. Here's what Peter said about it. If you suffer for for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God, That's our king. There are some parts of the world today where the example of Bonhoeffer is not an intellectual argument, but a daily struggle. Uh, If you'd like to know more about what's going on in our world, hear some of the news that you don't hear on the news, I can recommend to you a website called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs. You'll find it uh, just by a quick search. It's a news service reporting on Christian persecution around the world. It's sobering reading, but these brothers and sisters need our prayers. And I pray that their struggle and patience in living in very difficult circumstances would inspire us to do the same in our circumstances. So let's finish by just looking at some practicalities for our daily lives. Uh, We see them listed off in the verses that we've read. The first is show respect. Show respect. This is a way that this is something that's going to be countercultural here in Australia. I think cutting down the tall poppies is a bit of a national sport in Australia, but Christians ought to be different in the way that we speak, in the way, in the things that we say, in what we do on social media we are the beloved children of God and we're not surprised and we needn't be unsettled by corruption because we are secure no matter who is in government. We, will, we have lots to be thankful for and some leaders may not deserve our respect but that's actually not the issue. God deserves our respect and he's asking us to respect those in, his, in leadership over us. And of course, in our democracy, we have the privilege of speaking out and even criticising the government. And often they do want our input. And so we should take advantage of that. Recently, a lot of us from the lakes were involved in petitioning the state government to relax the COVID rules and they listened And look at how many of us are able to be here today. And I'm so grateful for that. But even in our lobbying of government, Christians must be respectful. And it will be distinctive. It will be a distinctive, something that makes us stand out in the way we go about it. Second, do what is right. Do what is right. Uh, I think this just means keeping the law. Everything from observing the road rules, uh, to getting building approvals, to keeping up with the COVID safe regulations that we're all so good at now. I think it goes beyond the obvious things, even into those areas that are a little gray or where we know that everyone does it. Everyone does it, even though it's a little bit dodgy. Just this week, as I was preparing to speak to you today, I was speaking to a contractor, talking about a quote for some work, and he asked me if I would like the quote to be a cash rate or whether he wanted to put it on the books. Now, I knew what he meant, and I had a choice at that point, didn't I? When I told him that I wanted it to be on the books, that decision cost me. It cost me real money. Why would I do that? Who would care? If I paid cash, who would know? Well, there's at least two people that would know other than me. Firstly, God would know. Firstly, God would know. We don't just want to do what we can get away with, we're asked to do what is right because God cares what we do. Who's the other person that would know other than me? Who's the other person that would know? The contractor. He'd know as well. He knew he was dealing with a Christian, and we didn't have a big, long conversation about it. But I pray that maybe he was struck by my desire to do what is right, and maybe that would be a step towards him getting to know Jesus and having eternal life by seeing the difference that Jesus had made in my life. For better or for worse, our conduct will influence what people think about Jesus and whether they listen. I'm praying that the way that our church, the way that most churches have been diligent in following the COVID regulations will be another way that will enhance our reputation and maybe help people to listen to the good news of Jesus. So that's do what is right. Next, pay taxes. Taxes get a special mention In these verses, uh, I wonder if you find that surprising or not. Verse 6, Paul says, This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now, this may be a timely reminder for some of you because it's November now, so if you haven't filed your tax return, now's a good time to do it. It costs a lot of money to provide law enforcement and health and education and roads, and uh, government. So let's do our bit to support this work that we benefit from. There will always be big and small areas in which we disagree with how the government spends our taxes. And there's always going to be inefficiency and corruption at some levels. God will hold our authorities to account for those things. God will hold us to account for the way that we submit to those authorities and pay our taxes. And finally, pray. Finally, pray. 1 Timothy 2, uh, the other passage that was read, explicitly urges us to pray for all people, but especially those in authority. And it said that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then also goes on to talk about the opportunity for people to hear the good news of Jesus. So we pray that those who do the job of governing would do it well, bringing about justice, commending those who do right, and punishing those who do wrong. It's a way that we care for the vulnerable by praying for our leaders. And we also pray for the freedom to be God's people. We pray that authorities lead in such a way that we are able to openly live for God ourselves and share the good news with others. It's a freedom that we have long enjoyed in Australia, but we don't take for granted. It's a wonderful thing and we pray that it will last. So let's pray now for ourselves and our leaders and our world. Our great God and our heavenly father, thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus. He is so generous a leader, so kind a ruler that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is a privilege to live our lives in service of your son, King Jesus. Thank you that he died for us and thank you that he rose to bring us everlasting life. Please help us submit to our human rulers as we submit to Jesus. Please give us humility and respect and wisdom to do this well, so that we may honour and please you and commend the gospel to everyone who looks in on our lives. Please care for the persecuted and oppressed around the world. Please rescue those who are under cruel governments. Please feed and clothe those who are starving. Please topple corrupt regimes, we pray. And please give your people wisdom to know how to respect their rulers when it is not easy or humanly possible. Please care for the vulnerable through your authorities. And Father, we thank you for our government and politicians in Australia who give their time to serving and running our country. We thank you for their influence and hard work in keeping COVID under control in our country. Please give them wisdom to know how to govern and humility to know their place under the King of Kings. Amen.